literally. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of Dawncast. I'm Dai Lee. And I'm Kathy Ngo. Uh, and today we've got Nikki Hind. I hope I've pronounced your surname correctly, Nikki. You pronounced it incorrectly, but you would not be the only one. It's Hind. Ah, <laughs> uh, Hind. Okay. <clears throat> so thank you. Thanks for correcting that, Nikki. Uh, so Nikki Hind is joining us from rural New South Wales in the wonderful town of Albury. So that's in the border of uh, Victoria, the, the Albury Wodonga kind of, uh, you know, uh, geography. Uh, now we've welcomed Nikki because she is she's got an amazing and a unique story to tell, being I believe the first blind fashion designer in Australia. Is that right, Nikki? Apparently so. I keep waiting for someone else to contact me to say, no, I'm legally blind <laughs> and I've been doing this for years. But no, I created my first collection in 2015 and I started looking for other um, vision impaired, legally blind fashion designers in Australia and couldn't find them. So I and started looking further afield and there are certainly ones overseas and I contacted Vision Australia saying there's I can't find any do you know of any and they said no but there'd have to be some somewhere and by about two years later they wrote Vision Australia wrote an article declaring Nikki Hind Australia's first blind fashion designer so I figured it'd, I'd probably get to safely call myself Australia's first blind fashion designer. Wow. How well, did you get started in fashion design? Because um, just from reading your history, you started off in PR and um, events management, but then you fell into fashion design. So like, was it always a, a long time passion or did it just happen more recently? It was. When I was a teenager, uh, fashion design and... Um, I have to say, along with choreography, um, I, I, but I didn't. I certainly didn't pursue that because I can't dance unless I've had half a bottle of champagne. But um, <laughs> yeah, they were the happy places I used to go to in my head. So I'd be forever designing things in my head. You know, that nice, happy, relaxing place you escape to. It's always something. And for me, it was fashion design. But I thought that was very, very um, unpractical. So I pursued more practical things, uh, but I used to sit and uh, I used to sit in front of what was the Golden Gown Awards at the time, the precursor to Australian Fashion Awards and all the, you know, wonderful industry events and awards that are on now. And I'd lie on the floor and sketch um, fabulous designs that I hope to see on the runway one day. Um, and then, so I, I kind of. I, I really didn't give it another second thought. I just, it was just, the, I would just daydream an occasion. In high school, I would make things for my school social and sticky tape them together and staple them together because I didn't even have a sewing machine. Um, but when I became legally blind in my early to mid 30s, uh, followed by kind of a a, a series of, of traumatic events, I guess. I found myself with my world just turned upside down. I was a legally blind single mum of these two beautiful little boys. I was financially ruined. I was struggling with the effects of post-traumatic stress syndrome. And um, it, yeah, so it was from, it, it was from that place. I thought, well, I'm going to give 
I guess um, fashion, intuitively fashion I thought I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to follow a, an aspiration. I want to get out from under this horrible, heavy stress. I did not want to be an unconfident, uncom- unjoyous, stressed mum. No way did I want to raise those little boys like that. Uh, so it was a, a dream I reached for, I guess, to try and help lift me back up again. Um, is it all right? Do you mind sharing what happened? How how did you become legally blind? Yeah, not not at all. And it's um, I, I think it's a very unusual story. I'm not sure because I I had a stroke. Um, I have a really rare blood clotting disorder. My haematologist was so excited when it was diagnosed. I think she um, wrote a paper on it because it's really, really rare um, called ineffective tissue plasminogen activator and being a Doctor Who fan from way back. <laughs> sounds like a, sounds like something from Doctor Who. Um, so I, unbeknownst to me, I'd actually been having mini strokes for years. And I, I lost um, three pregnancies as, as well. Um, uh, so I, the, ha- the stroke happened when I was pregnant with my now first son. But I don't remember the time it exactly happened because I was always legally blind in one eye anyway. Um, and I, it, it was a high-risk pregnancy and there are all sorts of funny symptoms going on anyway so bizarrely enough I don't know exactly when it happened but it's so it's a brain injury in essence it wiped out 50 percent of my field of vision in both eyes so now I can see out of half of one eye. Right Um, what when you talk about legally blind um, what can you see and what can't you see can you give a, a short kind of explanation so people can imagine what that would be like yeah what does it mean by illegal sorry illegally <laughs> sorry <blind. laughs> i mean legally blind with my real name on here i'm in big trouble no, <laughs> no legally legally blind <laughs> all above board not legally um, blonde <laughs> exactly legally blind um yes i and the by far the majority of people and I feel uncomfortable being described as Australia's first blind fashion designer, but that is the that, that's the way that I guess people um, people in the vision impairment area speak. You're you're either blind or you're not. I always call myself legally blind because I can see, but by far the majority of people with vision impairment, blind people, have some level of, of vision. It, it's actually relatively rare to be. Uh, completely blind. So for me, I can see out of the inside half of my right eye and that bit left is nearly 20-20 vision, which is pretty good. But of course, it's got nothing to balance with. So I don't know if yourselves or your listeners, viewers um, remember that part in Wayne's world where he's looking at her and saying, camera one, camera two. You know, when you do that and things shift a little bit, yeah. You know, I've, I I don't see anything where it is. It's either off of, I, don't, I never know, where is it? It's a little bit to the right or a little bit to the left. So for starters, I don't see things quite where they are. I don't have depth perception or a, a, I can't get a hold of speed and distance because um, you need two eyes to line up for that. Um, I don't have peripheral vision, obviously. 
Um, and it's really, really hard for me. I actually have good detail vision, but it's so hard to keep a hold of it. So I can still read the phone book if there's any such thing anymore. I can yeah. still read very small print and I can see tiny detail, but it, it, it escapes in a fraction of a second. So I'm forever refocusing, 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 which is um, physically draining, exhausting. exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. So how then do you design? Because you, you, it, it, you've shown that it is possible. So how do you design? Well, I guess because I've been asked so many times on this journey, you, you know, what, what, um, what things are more difficult being a fashion designer, a blind fashion designer, legally blind fashion designer. And the further I go along this journey, I, I feel like the things that are hard are, are not the things at all to do with my vision. The things that are hard, the, the hardest thing is finding a, uh, a good um, manufacturing chain, good ethical manufacturing chain. But I don't know, I can see detail. I love the feel of fabrics to touch, but obviously then I love the feel of fabrics on your body when you're wearing them. So I love the feel of fabrics. I love the fit of things, how they fit. Um, and I love beautiful detail. So all those things are a bonus to me. I guess I'm very, very, I'm, I'm slow. I'm slow at everything I do now. Um, and that was, that can be anxiety provoking. And certainly in the beginning, it was really anxiety provoking. You've got to learn to live within your visual means. And a, a lot of that was, was slowing life down, but there were nice benefits to that. And I became a mum at the same time. So I had this beautiful little baby to, to take care of and nurture anyway. Yeah, you, you talked about how when at the time when you went legally blind, you also um, gave birth to your son. So that then took precedent in terms of your focus, uh, your attention rather than what actually happened to you. Can you share a bit more around that, um, how you coped uh, mentally with that whole uh, event around your life? Yeah, and again, it's another thing that people say, wow, that must have been really difficult, um, becoming a mum at the same time. And I guess for me, it's always been, um, I think, thank goodness, because illegal blindness came into my life at exactly the same time as, um, as, as motherhood, this beautiful little beautiful little baby and it just the legal blindness just kind of had to take a back seat obviously there were things that were more difficult but I guess you, you know motherhood especially with a brand new baby is all about you know communicating and bonding and nurturing and and your first one is, and what's your first one as well first time motherhood was that for you it was first time motherhood and I've got um yeah I guess what was um, difficult about that was the um, the blood clotting disorder almost killed, his name is Darcy, almost killed Darcy as well. I was taken to hospital because um, uh, I'd already lost three, had three miscarriages at um, I think about 16 weeks each of them because the blood clotting disorder I have that they finally found uh, you, you just can't carry a baby to full term. The, 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 you can't dissolve your 
your body's blood clots and you have blood clots happening all the time and particularly in pregnancy. So you're essentially giving the baby a heart attack. You're blocking off the blood supply. So you cannot carry them full term without medication. But they didn't know what I had. I didn't know what it what it was. So, yeah, again, at about um, at about 15, 16 weeks, um, you know, after the the safety 12 weeks um, mark, I was taken to hospital because I was bleeding and that was a Sunday and the doctor told me, I'm so sorry, you've, um, you've lost this baby, but there's no anaesthetist here. We can't do a DNC. You'll have to come back tomorrow, you know, go home and, and please come back in tomorrow. Uh, and I went home and took lots of Nurofen, too many Nurofen, because I was really upset and in lots of pain. But Nurofen is aspirin-based. Uh, so, yes, don't don't try this at home, kids. But, <laughs> yeah, I, I think I went in the next day and they did the, you know, initial physical and, and said there's a heartbeat there. Oh, um, oh. And Darcy was that there. So he's my little miracle baby. And the... Um, my doctor put me on on Klaxane, a blood thinner, without knowing what what was actually wrong, and they didn't didn't find out what was wrong until gosh, after my second baby was born. So probably three years later. But yeah, he's my he's my little miracle man. He nearly he nearly died as well. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I'm just trying to process all of this all of that here. information. Yeah, it's just um, obviously been a lot of trauma and. I can see why you started Blind Group because you almost needed that escape as a coping mechanism. Is is that right? Well, yes. And, um, yeah, it was – and it was – there was unfortunately um, a, a background of um, some abuse in my childhood and later in life, um, like many, many women – uh, I had been sexually abused as a child and I um, raped as a young adult. Um, sadly, this is terribly common. Um, so, yeah, it was, and then the my marriage falling apart was hideously traumatic. Um, it was, it was awful. It was, it did not, it did not go well at all it didn't go well at all um my ex-husband fled with the children and we had to have them returned by the police and all sorts of just awful awful things that escalated over years so by the time i found myself alone and we were certainly left with with no money um yeah just all those all those layers of i don't know just just left me feeling quite quite crushed and i didn't have great um um family networks to rely on so again like like many people it doesn't happen um like it does in the movies and you've you know for everyone there are a lot of people that that don't always have those networks in place to to rely on um yeah so it was it was all it was all those things and it was absolutely a determined desire to there was not a chance I was going to remain crushed no way. These two beautiful little boys are only tiny. And, it, yeah, I, 
yes it was that reaching for the things I, I guess it's that um approach motivation rather than avoidance motivation you know with 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 trauma that avoidance motivation is very very strong and so I guess instinctively I reached for a dream an aspiration something that was strong enough to kind of negate that avoidance motivation and this is what blind grit is based around um, that that idea of aspiration validation and motivation and the incredible power of that combination to um, I guess to connect with people's potential uh, blind grit of course is is um it's made of and around people who live with with disability and i include surviving trauma and that's very it's an invisible disability well it's invisible and in in any it's invisible until you see the negative consequences of it which are often things like you know homelessness drug abuse alcohol abuse um intergenerational unemployment um all sorts of awful negative things that we see, but there are just such incredible potential um, in surviving trauma and living with disability, that being out of your comfort zone and what that can breed in you. So that's that's what I feel very passionately about. So that when I realised, um, when I started to look at what, what being a fashion designer, what success would look like for me, there, it, I didn't want to just bring more clothes into the world. That's a lovely creative thing. I love doing that. But I just wanted to use that platform of fashion and creativity, I guess, um, to communicate the, the incredible value of people who live with disability and survive trauma. Mm. Um, Nikki, that, that was an, an amazingly powerful um, conversation you just gave us. Um, um, I, as I listen to you, I'm thinking, you know, how how did you get yourself through that traumatic um, period in your life? Mm. Because there are people who've had, um, as you've said, suffered sexual abuse and other trauma, but they become a victim. They they can't seem to recover from that. You've got such a, a, a a positive outlook in life and you've got such so much energy your aura is so yeah, it's, beautiful yeah so what <laughs> how did you get to that place yeah because you said that you didn't have any family like what's no networks yeah what's what did you do yeah. <laughs> I know so, so well, many questions <laughs> but we're like just like wow what did wow. you do well and I mean it wasn't um what is it I don't know. I have to say I'm an optimist. You know, I'm a I'm a huge optimist. And I also and I'm quite this is going to sound a bit um melodramatic or um no, no nothing nothing's melodramatic. I'm, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm driven by love. And I know in these days and times that sounds a bit like a soap opera rather than um, something real and genuine and useful, but it's real and it's genuine and it's useful. Being driven by love, I was 
I was driven initially by the love of my children. I wanted to give them the absolute best of me. And I think I'm funny. <laughs> I think I'm hilarious. <laughs> and I think I'm creative. And, um, and I, you know, I think I can be light and fun. I think I'm fairly smart. I think I'm open mind. Like all these good things. Um, like why wouldn't you want to be up there? And I just, and when you talk about people who, you know, who don't quite make it uh, when they survive trauma or, I mean, there's, there are so many, so many reasons. And I guess that's part of my drive with blind grit because there is no way that's going to get less. We're not going to get less people surviving trauma and we're probably not going to get less people living with disability um and i don't see either of those things necessarily as a as a negative i think just some incredible things are born out of that and to have a i want society to see it more i want society to value it more um, in a real tangible way because it can be a huge value add to society. It doesn't have to be, um, people don't have to fall along the way. It can, it can breed such beautiful um, humanity, you know, a real connection to what's, to what's important. It's like a, a lovely big disruption. I'm a massive fan of disruption. We're just at the tail end of one here in Australia, coronavirus, aside from all the awful, awful deaths and illness, I, you know, I was very excited about the possibilities that coronavirus might bring up. I'm a big fan of disruption, but disruption is scary because it's, you're out of your comfort zone and it's expensive. You know, but when it's forced upon you and it's forced upon you when you live with disability, it's forced upon you when you survive a trauma and there are such good things. People who live with disability, people who survive trauma, I think are, um, can be naturally very inclusive thinkers, natural innovators, um, uh, naturally creative, um, you know, all these wonderful qualities that we really admire and aspire to. Uh, and we, you, you know, it would be so great if we just, um, if we're just, we're able to recognise, recognise and, um, and release that potential rather than being, well, we're often quite blind, particularly to, to trauma. It goes, it's rather invisible. And unfortunately, with disability, I think there's still quite a large focus on entry level positions more so than what, you know, what, what um, you, you know, still a bit of that, um, well, disability, the, the dis of the ability, you, you know, the lack of the ability rather than what have this group of people possibly, what may they have that we don't? They live outside their comfort zone 24-7 and everyone knows you cannot grow without being outside your comfort zone. You can't grow muscle, you can't grow cardio fitness, you can't grow emotionally, you can't grow mentally. You must push outside your comfort zone and it can be really difficult. And both those groups of people, trauma survivors and people who live with disability are experts at it. 
do you, um, in terms of, do you revisit those uh, traumatic moments? Not not to beat yourself up, but do you reflect back on those those moments and and you have found the strength to grow from that? Like, are there are there lessons for what? What are some of the lessons, I suppose, for you yeah. from those? Um, and sorry, I didn't really answer that question, did I? I went off on a tangent on, yeah, which no, I do. <laughs> no, um, you, you forgot look, what the I question didn't. was. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I have spent so much of my life seeing psychologists. Hmm? It's... Um, it's not that I don't think there's any, I don't have any magic, magic thing I do or that I am. I, I, yes, I saw, I wanted to be the best I could be. And I am, I'm an optimist and I'm literally driven by love, which makes me sound really, it's kind of I can see myself in this camera. I feel a bit funny looking at myself and, and saying <laughs> that. It, um, so there was this, yeah, always this drive. It, I mean, it was, it was just horrible, you know, and I've been on Valium for weeks at a time just so as I can cope with being a mum. And, for, um, you know, in that time that Blind Grit was born, I just... I just felt like I was pretending, you, you know, because and and children, yeah, I, I I think I did. I think I was much more able to see it for what it was and face it and think, no, that wasn't okay. When I had children, because so many abusers will, especially when you're young, you know, you just think, oh. Maybe that's just what happens. Maybe that's a. Maybe I'm a attention seeker. Maybe I'm a. I don't. I don't know. Um, and when I had my own children, it was so. I mean, I kind of knew in a way, but it was no. Nah, that's my gosh. That's not that. That's not what adults do to children. That's not what adults do to other adults. It's not okay. So I guess it made me. That made me more more capable of, um, I guess, putting the responsibility and the blame, if you're going to call it blame, where it bloody belonged because you tend not to. And any other person out there who's, um, you know, suffered abuse, you, you do, especially as a child, you do tend to keep it special for yourself because, yeah, so that, that really helped being a mum. But I... I just, I just tried really hard. <laughs> have a sense of humour. Never take yourself too seriously. But good grief, my children have seen me cry on the floor, and then I, you know, I think, oh my god, what kind of mum does that? And I think, well, a real mum. They will know if, yeah. whenever they, if ever they have to cry on the floor, that's actually what capable humans do. Sometimes it doesn't mean I'm incapable because I'm crying on the floor. <laughs> We are humans. I've cried on we the floor human. in front of my children a few times. So it's, um, there's no, I don't know that there's any magic bullet, but there was, um, yeah, definitely a reaching for an aspiration 
I know I'm strong, but I think many people who survive trauma know that. That so I just know I am. But but it was hard, and I'm on antidepressants as we speak. I've been on them for years. You, um, so a whole a whole myriad of things finding um, finding other places to get um, validation from, other than the ones that you were craving it from and it didn't come from you know uh and i i just used to feel and i i can still fall into it now sometimes so it would feel like i was just living on the verge of crisis like walking a tightrope just in fear of falling into the abyss you know it's this dark and it's scary but was it the, the Tempest? I'll go all Shakespearean on you. Um, <laughs> Please, you know, when take they, us there. In, in take the, us there. In the, in the Tempest, there's that line of, you know, how did you survive? How did you survive? They asked the man. And he says, because my daughter was in the same boat. You know, my children were in the same boat. I There was not a chance I was not going to, not only, and what's the point of just surviving if you can kick ass? So the difference was you. <laughs> Just have to throw that in because that's our, our slogan. Yeah. Oh, is it? Yes. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> I guess it was. Yeah. I guess the it difference. was. The Yeah. I mean, that's you know. a beautiful slogan. Hmm. Yeah. There's tremendous power in sharing your story today. And even though we've never met before, like, I just, I feel everything that you've just mentioned, which is really powerful. And I know sharing your story has probably not been easy. And what's your advice to other people who want to share their story and perhaps they've experienced a lot of trauma in their life but may not feel ready or empowered yet because, I mean, there's a lot of vulnerability in what you've shared with us. So what would be your advice to our listeners? Yeah, and that that vulnerability is such a, it's, it's a whole topic in itself, isn't it? Because mm. um, it's so important and I think we should value it in, in leaders. I guess I have a, it, I, I would like to see um, surviving trauma as something you put on your resume. So I know that's not a useful tip for right now, but that's, that, that's, the, that's what Blind Grit's about. You know, it, it's, it's awful that it's so isolating and still so seemingly, um, shameful because I've never ever worked so hard and been so unbelievably strong as I was in those couple of years when I was pretty much completely isolated I had no money no job to the outside world I looked like an absolute loser doing nothing and I have never worked so hard and people who experience trauma will will know that feeling yeah unbelievable strength and work in that period um so don't so don't underestimate that never feel alone um although that's i know a ridiculous thing to say you do feel so alone don't underestimate that strength know what you've got there know what you've got there value it and and if you've got someone you can trust you know come from that place of love and pain comes from love you don't get pain without love do you mm. think it's about owning your story as well it is 
do you think blind grit um, is about that as well? Well, and I think part of what I do with with blind grit, which I've just done a little bit for for myself today by telling something publicly about myself that I haven't before, to putting some of my story out there and owning it myself today. Um, yeah, that that power in in owning your story exactly, and owning your story and telling it from a from a safe, strength based place. Um, but um, I guess I don't want to. I'm mindful of not uh, of not just saying, you know, go tell the world, because it might not. You've got to be safe too. Don't it sound even more ridiculous? It'll be okay. It, it it'll be okay. And if you're in a time of isolation, and you know, maybe just reach out to. I reached out to Vision Australia, and I just you don't have to tell everything straight away. Just just have at least some little little safety things. And if you're at if you have to be at home licking your wounds, I think that's that's okay. Society tells you it's not okay to 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 be so isolated and alone, and it certainly feels awful. But I presume it's part of the healing and the getting there as well. Own your story. It's probably an awesome one. <laughs> and but but yeah, it's it's okay. And if you need to nurture yourself there that's okay too nikki i also think what you've also done which is extremely powerful is you've helped normalize the conversations around trauma and i know that still today it's shameful to share um and Mm. if i was to um say from the perspective of a culturally diverse person growing up you never share you know, your dirty, as they would say, dirty laundry or anything like that because it's like it makes you look weak. But in actual fact, it makes you look stronger because it's what you've had to overcome. You're a survivor. And the more people share stories like this, the more it empowers other people to share the same as well. Because I think each one of us suffers from trauma some way or another like it could be something small but in that moment it was traumatic could have been as a child or a real abusive relationship whatever it is and um yeah I just want to congratulate you for being so you know vulnerable with us that's right because I just feel like I was almost crying before actually but I was like no hold back those tears same here because because once it comes out that's right on special for you guys. You cry, I'll cry. I don't have any tissues here and my makeup will run and I'm way too vain. Uh, um, But yeah, look, look, before we kind of wrap up the conversation, tell us, I I know we touch upon blind grit. Uh, I know that you're the first, you know, blind, uh, legally blind uh, fashion designer, but what does blind grit do? What is it that you're offering to people mm. and what do you want sure. people to know about Blind Grit? Yep. Well, Blind Grit appears to be the only in the world, I have to say, that I keep researching intermittently. I still can't find another like it. 
um, fashion label that is built entirely of and around people who live with disability and survive trauma. So all the fabulous aspirational, fun, creative, glamorous jobs that sit behind the development of a fashion label. So the modeling, photography, obviously the design itself, graphic design, social media, um, I mean, there is so makeup and hair, all that stuff. Any anything that we can bring in house will be done by people who live with disability or survive trauma. There seems to be plenty of fashion labels who use, um, you know, people, vulnerable people, people who survive trauma, um, you know, to make the, the garments and uh, like empower them that way, so as they can earn an income and be independent, which is fabulous. Um, but yeah, I can't find any other fashion label that that is built entirely of and around people who, who live with disability and survive trauma. And I have to say, um, uh, I won, I, I, I won a, an ING Dream Starter Scholarship for the business model of um, Blind Grit a few years ago. Blind Grit is inspirational athleisure wear created by those who conquer challenges for those who are ready for one. So athleisure wear for those of you who don't know, but I think most people do by now, it, it, it's it's um, fabulous looking fitness gear. Um, the, the joke about athleisure wear is it's, um, you know, fitness gear you don't intend to break a sweat in. That's um, me. That's me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you can break a sweat in our gear as well. It's very good. But uh, so the, it, the idea is when you slip into our gear, you get to um, borrow that awesome challenge conquering energy to push out of your own comfort zone and put down that third Mars bar and go for a jog and, yeah. Wonderful. So it's a fitness, um, fitness gear. Where it's fitness, it, yeah. It, it's it's yeah. It's good looking fitness gear. Good looking. It's designer yeah. fitness gear. You don't yeah. have to be an mm. eastern suburbs mum to wear it. No. <laughs> it's for everybody. <laughs> it's for everybody. Yeah. yeah. So it's designer, it's designer fitness gear. So the idea is tapping into that um, that challenge, conquering energy, that sitting, being outside your comfort zone. Yeah. Well. Thank you so much for that. Um, we, uh, we are very honoured, I have to say, um, and I'm sure Cathy would agree with me. Yeah, this is probably one of my favourite interviews. We are very, very oh. privileged. Yeah, it's been so raw, yeah, uh, vulnerable, uh, honest and filled with love as well. And, uh, and I hope that our uh, audience, listeners, those who watch this would feel the same. And uh, thank you so much for reaching out and for being part of Dawncast and uh, yeah. Yeah, we wish you every success with Blind Grit and please keep us up to date as well. Absolutely. We'll, we'll be following your we'll social media. We'll be following media. you Yeah, uh, and we'll be sharing this and I have no doubt that we'll continue this conversation, Nikki. I don't think this is the first. Uh, it won't be the last. Uh, Excellent. And <laughs> I, know, I, know, I know we are, yes, I, I know we share a lot of um, oh, similar values, a lot of similar passions, yes. Absolutely. Mm. Um, so thank you very much. Uh, and uh, thank you for joining us here on Dawncast, everybody. I'm Di Lee. And if you have stories that you would like us to uh, broadcast, do you want us to talk about and share with us, please make sure you click on the bell button on the link below here and subscribe to us and or email us as well. Thank you. Thank and you. I'm Kathy Ngo. See you okay, guys see later. Bye. Bye. Thank you.